The topic of this workshop is step one. My name is Carol. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm one of the leaders for this meeting. And the other speaker is Jen. So this session is being taped and will not be edited. Please note that this session might be available online or on a podcast feed, so anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. Will someone please volunteer to be the timer? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, there's nothing to give you. Oh, okay. How many Do you minutes? have, um, it's 20 minutes. And could you please give me a five-minute warning at 15 minutes? Okay. Okay, just one sec. So after things, actually you're going to do this starting here. Yeah. Okay. very nervous this morning. I've spoken so many times. I'm usually not nervous, but this morning I'm really nervous speaking on step one, so just letting you know. <laughs> okay. My name is Carol. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi. and uh, thanks for being here. So I wanted to just share a little bit to qualify because... People have told me they can't imagine me being overweight, but I weighed 50 pounds more than I weigh now. And um, so now I'm a size 10 usually. At that time, I was a 16, 18, and um, was in complete denial. I'll talk about that. But growing up, my favorite holiday was Halloween, not for the costumes. I um, literally, when I was 10 years old, I had blisters on my feet because I walked miles. I went trick-or-treating by myself so I could cover the most territory and went miles to get the most candy. At one point, I, um, I used to go to the drugstore all the time. At times, I stole candy, but sometimes I stole money from my brother's penny collection, and so that he wouldn't notice, I stole some out of each row. So I was taking pennies from like 1910, 1920, 1930. I did make an amends. When I was in high school, um, I was dating a boy who was very athletic. Uh, he ate, you know how high school boys eat? I ate him under the table. No problem. And uh, I thought that was kind of cute. Um, I sold candy in high school as a fundraiser for a worthy cause. Guess who ate most of the candy? I had to take a, a part-time job so that I could support my candy habit. And over time, I didn't gain a lot of weight then because I was extremely physically active, but over time, I gained all my weight and, and topped out at 186, and I'm, I was 5'4 at the time. So uh, we'll fast forward to being in my 30s and getting married, and then I packed on the pounds because I was basically unhappy, was part of it, and um, went to a diet program, lost 50 pounds, gained it back, went back to the diet program, lost it again, gained it back. Just so you know, you're not alone here. Uh, the night before I came into OA, I was on a different diet program, and I was eating three of their diet desserts every night. So not only couldn't I put down the regular food, I couldn't even put down the diet food. Um, when I came into OA, my first meeting, I identified really strongly with the speaker, and I was, within days, I was like, struck abstinent. I was very fortunate. And I uh, was abstinent for two years. 
uh, I worked the program. I got a sponsor right away, which was very important for me. I um, worked the steps. I went to at least three meetings a week. And uh, I called people. And I had my two-year anniversary. I said, I got this. Yeah, that is the most dangerous thought I could possibly have on any topic. I got this. Um, after that two years, I went up and down with my abstinence for a few years. I'd have a week, a month, a few months, a week, a day, two days, up and down constantly. I stayed in the program, kept going to meetings. At one point, I got one year of abstinence, and then I spent thir- I, up and down during that time, 13 years like that. So started out with two years of abstinence and then 13 years with somewhere in there one year of abstinence. That's a very long time to be in relapse. And so I want to share with you what I have learned about step one. Um, I have now been in OA almost 24 years. And in school, I was almost a straight-A student. Um, I did very well on my SATs and GREs. I have two master's degrees. However, in life, I am a really slow learner, as you might have guessed. Um, One of my friends said his sponsor told him that he was educated beyond his intelligence. (laughs) That's what I think about me. So uh, the other thing I learned, one of the other things is I'm not really a good original thinker, but I am a great plagiarist. And we recommend plagiarism in a way because if somebody's doing something that works for them, steal it. It can work for you. And uh, so I I steal his jokes. Um, I'll be telling another one shortly. Um, So now I have almost seven years of abstinence. And I want to say, okay, what changed that took me out of that relapse into abstinence because, and into pretty solid abstinence? Is it perfect? No, but it's it's pretty close. Um, So I was thinking about that, and I said, oh, it's it's step one. You know, I I work step one just about perfectly. And people used to say that to me. It's the only step you have to work perfectly to stay abstinent. And I thought, what does that mean? Because I am a slow learner. And um, so I started taking it apart. We. Okay, the first word of step one is we. We can't do this alone. If I could have gotten abstinent alone, if I could have lost my weight alone, I would have done it before I came to the program, right? If I, I wouldn't have been in relapse for 13 years if I could have done it on my own. But that temptation to want to do it on my own is so strong. So, my, so people used to say, my best thinking got me here into OA. Didn't understand what that meant. Now I understand what that meant. That meant I couldn't do it alone. My best thinking about how to handle life got me into OA in desperation. So I never stopped going to meetings except for one year in the 24 years. I call it my year off for bad behavior. I got a food sponsor. Um, So I went to a meeting where there was a lot of recovery. And when it went around the room for sharing and I heard everyone, and here was a really key thing. There was a woman in the program who I'd known for a long time, and I really didn't like her, and she got abstinent. And she lost all her weight. And I said, oh, she's such a fuck up. (laughs) If she can do it, why can't I do it? You know? So find someone you really don't like and watch them get abstinent. It's it's very motivating. So at that meeting, at that meeting, I... um, when it came my turn to share, I burst out in tears. That was not intentional. And um, I said, you know, I need a food sponsor. And this woman came up to me after the meeting. She's here, actually, today. Um, she came up to me. She said, I'll be your food sponsor, but you got to eat what I eat. So in my mind, I'm saying, oh, don't let it be the gray sheet. And if you don't know what the gray sheet is, it's no carbs, no sugar, weigh and measure your meals. 
don't let it be the gray sheet. Don't let it be the gray sheet. And I follow the gray sheet, she says. And I thought, okay, I'll try it for today. One day. I'll try it for 24 hours, right? One day at a time. I tried it for one day. It was not the worst food plan. Tried it a second day. I said, okay. Tried it the third day. I was very lucky. Every craving I had went away. So all those years that I had been eating flour and carbs, apparently they were an alcoholic food for me. They were a trigger food, and I didn't know it. And so that helped me a lot. So the second word of step one, we admitted, admitted. I looked up the term admitted because I said it doesn't say we stated we were powerless. It says we admitted we were powerless. So admitting means confess to be true, typically with reluctance. Right. So there you go. (laughs) I was definitely reluctant. Um, And powerless. So that sponsor, I worked with her for a while, and she said, you know, you really need to start the steps, and I can't help you with that, so you need to get a sponsor for the steps. And she told me who to get, which was not really someone I wanted to get as a sponsor, but I did it. And that person, who is also here, by the way, took me through some writings that were answering these repetitive, annoying, boring questions all about picking up the first compulsive bite. Really annoying questions because they all were about the same thing and I was so angry doing them, but I was doing them. And one of the questions was, why? uh, they were all basically, why did you pick up your first compulsive bite in your last relapse? And I said, because I was telling myself, I would just have this one. And then I thought, and I was telling myself, I'll start Monday. I'll just eat this one thing. I'll try this new dessert and then I'll get abstinent. I'll start after my vacation next week. I'll start in March so I can get thin by bathing suit time. I will start after my next meal. I told myself those things hundreds of thousands of times, many of them multiple times per day. And so I realized they were all lies. Every time I said that to myself, I was not being honest with myself. And honesty is the principle of step one, right? I was not being honest. So when I heard myself saying those things in my head, From that point onward, after doing those annoying writings, I knew that they were lies. Because I could not eat just one. If I could eat just one of one of my trigger foods, I would have done it. (laughs) Believe me. So I had proved to myself that I could not do that. And I finally had to admit that I was powerless over food. That I could not handle even one compulsive bite. So now, at that point, I had been in OA for 17 years. I knew all about compulsive eating. And in the big book, it says, this is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. As we know it. Here, instead of alcoholism, put in overeating, compulsive overeating. This other inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the wish So it's a physical issue where I'm craving my binge foods, my trigger foods. And it's a mental issue because no matter how much I want to put down the food, I can't. So that's the obsession. The compulsion is physical. The obsession is the mental part. So what was I in denial about all this time? My powerlessness. It also says in the big book, we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. And that's what I finally did. I finally conceded to my innermost self that I'm a compulsive overeater, that I am truly powerless over food. And if I truly admit it, if I know perfectly well that I can't have that first compulsive bite, then I don't take it. So what do I do now? I do something else that alcoholics who are recovering do. I think through the drink, and I call it I brood about the food. So I think through 
what's going to happen if I take that bite? What's going to happen? Am I going to be able to? And because I do occasionally get cravings. I think it through. I say, what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to stop after that bite? No, that's a lie. <laughs> right? And I, and I don't do it because I think it through. I think, okay, I'm going to have to give up my sponsees. Okay, I won't be able to speak at meetings. Okay, I won't be, you know, I'll be ashamed. I'll pack on my 50 pounds and maybe more because who knows if I have another recovery in me. Um, my last relapse lasted 13 years, so <laughs> let's not go there. So the other thing I realized I was in denial about was not just my powerlessness over the first compulsive bite, but in denial about having character defects. I thought my character defects were cute, and my most prominent character defects were, guess what, denial, defiance, Lack of discipline, which I also call sloth. Um, I wanted the easier, softer way. So, let's see. I call those my three Ds. And denial, defiance, lack of discipline. And um, I just want to talk a little for just a moment. Thank you. About life being unmanageable, which is the second part of step one. So we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Being the slow learner I mentioned that I am, guess what else I was in denial about? That my life was unmanageable. When I came into the program and I heard the people in the meetings talking about character defects, shortcomings, reading the steps, I thought, what is wrong with these people? They have all these character defects. And um, seriously, oh, and the most embarrassing thing for me to admit to you is that I used to be a therapist. So <laughs> self-knowledge, right? I had a lot of self-knowledge, just not about this. <laughs> so um, now what do I do? I go to three meetings a week. I sponsor people. I have a sponsor. I call her. I work the steps. So the steps help me address the character defects because that's what makes me eat in the first place. I do a lot of service. I do a lot of service at the intergroup level, and I highly recommend that. It's enjoyable, believe it or not. It is enjoyable. I follow a food plan. I work the tools. And I want to share something on the principle of honesty. So right before I came in today to this meeting, um, one of my friends in the program said to me, oh, you said something that really helped me a lot, which shocked me. And she said, you know, um, I told you that I had picked up, after you had helped me identify my alcoholic foods, I told you I picked up and, um, you know, and I just binged. And she said, um, you said to me, well, you're going to do really well in this program because you're able to be honest about it. And so that's the other part of step one. It's extremely important, as one of my friends says, to be rigorously honest about your food. Rigorously honest with yourself, with God, with someone else. Um, I decided that step one should be rewritten to say, I am powerless over that first compulsive bite. Because it's really that we need a power greater than ourselves to help us with it. That's not necessarily part of step one. You don't need that to work step one perfectly, but it greatly helps. And um, I recently had an experience where I had friends over to dinner. These are longtime friends, 15, 20 years. And the woman, I noticed how she was eating. So they brought dessert, which I always appreciate because I don't have to think about it then. And... Um, she ate one serving of the protein, not two. She ate, like, a little of everything, and then she ate a little of the dessert. And I thought, oh, wow, I could do that. She's doing it. I could do that. And then I said, really? I, I could drop out of the program and eat like she's eating. Seriously, this thought, after 24 years, this thought went through my mind. 
you know, suddenly the thought came? Yeah, dangerous. So um, then I said to myself, and what would happen? Let's think through that drink. What would happen if I did that? And, you know, I went right back. So today what I can say is I love these hidden promises in the big book. So the hidden promise for me of step one, that one that I love the most, is this. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So that is my next uh, challenge is to keep in fit spiritual condition. And um, thanks for being here. Thanks for helping with my recovery. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm a compulsive overeater and an addict. Hi, Jen. Um, Carol, I appreciate what you said about plagiarism because I'm about to plagiarize you. <laughs> and I'm an academic, so I found that very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> so briefly, um, my story and my stats. Um, I do remember a time in my life where I had a normal relationship with food. Um, Growing up, I remember eating dinner with my family, and sometimes I would have seconds of my favorite foods, and sometimes I wouldn't, and I would just simply stop when I wasn't hungry anymore, and I look back on that now, and I go, whoa. The first time I remember eating um, emotionally, eating to satisfy an emotional need, was in high school when there were a lot of things going on in my life that I just didn't have the capacity to handle. My grandfather was dying, I was losing my first love, I was losing my best friend, and it was all kind of coming together. And all I wanted was a big bowl of my favorite binge food. And that was the first time I was conscious of doing that. I did that more and more. And at some point, and I don't know when it was, but at some point I lost the power of choice. I lost the power to stop. I lost the power to say, this is not how I want to handle my feelings. I'm going to do other things through you know, therapy or other things. And, and I know that there are people out there who, for whom therapy works, that, you know, they, um, but, but for me, um, self-knowledge no longer worked and I could no longer on my own intelligence and my own willpower decide that I was just going to stop compulsively eating. And I don't know when that happened. I can only see it in retrospect. Um, As a result, I think it took me a long time to be honest with myself about the fact that I am a compulsive overeater and addict and that that had happened because I could remember a time when it wasn't the case and so I thought I could get back there. Um, I'm here to tell you that I couldn't get back there. I'm not back there now. I don't have a normal relationship with food. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm an addict. Um, When I was in graduate school in 
um, Washington, D.C., my roommate told me that he sat, basically pulled a mini intervention. He sat me down and he said, when I come home and I see you either making dinner or eating, sitting down to eat, I f- it feels to me like I'm walking in on somebody shooting up. You need to find an OA meeting. And I did. I went to an OA meeting. It, it shook me up and I, I went to an OA meeting. And um, I sat there and I cried throughout the whole OA meeting. There were about three or four people other than me there. It was a very small meeting. Uh, it was a literature-based meeting, and they read the OA welcome. Um, you know, it is our weakness that unites us. We found a common solution. Welcome to OA. Welcome home. And I cried. And um, they were very kind and patient with me. And I left, and I went to another OA meeting, which was very different. And it was very big, and it was somewhat overwhelming for me. And there was somebody who was passing through town, and she spoke, and she... What she said kind of scared me away because she said, you know, you can't do this the easier, softer way. You think you can do it halfway, but you can't. And um, so I left. I didn't go back to another OA meeting for about, I don't know, probably about seven years after that. I moved to Boston. I started a job. Um... I was pretty high-functioning during the day, and at night I would go home and close the shades and turn off the phone and fix my binge foods and just eat carbs and chocolate and carbs and chocolate and carbs and chocolate and salt and fat and sugar and combinations thereof. And I um, would eat myself into a food coma and I would go to sleep and I would wake up the next day and I would repeat the whole thing over again and I tried to have a life outside of work and outside of the food and I couldn't. You know, I would sign up for things and I wouldn't show up. I would try to make new friends and just not really go deeper into those relationships. Another friend went online for me, and and I lost the ability to pray. That was a big thing for me. I lost the ability to pray. And uh, I I could stand outside myself and watch myself do this, you know. And there was nothing that I could do to stop it. And, um... So I suppose at that point I started to take step one because I knew that I was powerless to stop it. And another friend went online and said, there are more people like you. Go to this website. And he gave me the OA website. And I found a meeting and I went. And I got a sponsor. And to the extent that I was willing to take step one, I recovered for the next four years. I became abstinent according to the food plan that my sponsor and I worked out. I lost 50 pounds. When I first started program in 2005, I was about um, 275 pounds. I went down to 225. I lost 50 pounds. Maintained that for about four years. Um, But also hit a plateau because, I mean, I was still overweight. But um, after about four years, program stopped working. Um, Nothing more was happening. I kind of got stuck. People suggested that I tighten up my food plan. People suggested that I work the steps in a different way. People suggested all these things, but I didn't want to do those things and decided the program had stopped working, and I went out and I did more research. And um, I researched my way up to 306 pounds, Four years later, three years later, in the um, fall slash winter of 2012, I came back into program completely hopeless because all of the research that I had done, I had tried all kinds of diet programs. I had tried, um, you know, uh, therapy. I had tried uh, religion. I had tried... um, different kinds of spirituality. I had tried even incorporating the steps into it, but still trying to do it on my own. I figured if I could figure out a way 
through my brain power, if I could figure out a way um, that would work for me, you know, I could figure out a solution and then just do that, that I could cure myself. And that belief propelled me up to over 300 pounds. My doctors were beginning to talk about gastric bypass surgery. The I, Nothing I had done made any sense whatsoever. And I was completely hopeless. I came back into program. And because I was hopeless, I was able to call a friend who, who I had known from program before and from my religious community and say to her, Give me a food plan. I will do whatever you tell me to do. Because what I've done hasn't worked. And that was, I think, a moment of honesty that um, a place I had not ever been before. I had never said to somebody else, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to do about food. I had never given up that control I had never been willing, even at the beginning of a day, to commit my food to a sponsor and say, this is what I'm going to eat, and then give up the power of choice during that day. So, um, but I was willing. And I was honest. And she gave me a food plan, which I later, um, you know, ran by my doctor and a nutritionist. And, you know, they made some modifications, um, Unfortunately, they didn't make modifications, you know, to tell me I could eat more food. They just, you know, told me to spread it out a little differently. Um, And I started working the Big Book Step Study process, um, which is a a pretty intense way of um, of working the steps according to the Big Book. And that uh, is what keeps me abstinent and keeps me in recovery and keeps me living the life that I have today. So that's my story in a nutshell. One thing that I am going to plagiarize immediately is that, yes, step one is the only step that I have to work perfectly to stay abstinent. And I feel like I am constantly working step one. Um, The reasons, um, usually when it comes time to sign up to speak for conventions, I usually choose to um, speak on step one, and there are two reasons for that. A, it's early in the weekend, so <laughs> I can do my part um, and then uh, listen to others and, and, and relax for the rest of the weekend. That's A. B is that it really helps me to remember where I came from and the fact that I have to still work step one today. I can't let up on step one Now, that's probably true of all of the steps, but in particular, um, if my abstinence is the foundation of my recovery, then, and if I have to work step one perfectly in order to stay abstinent, then that's got to be the first thing that I do. That's got to be my number one priority. I have to make sure that I stay honest. And my history with step one, as I've just described, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail My history with step one is one where honesty was something that came late. Honesty was something that really came late, and it's something I still struggle with. Um, So uh, when I look at step one and I look at the two parts in step one, admitted we were powerless over food is the first part of it. And I think I was able to admit that I was powerless over food from the beginning. Like, it was, it was easy for me to stand outside of myself. It was something that sort of happened to me and watch myself binge and know that there was nothing I could do about it. You know, that's, that's being powerless. So when I came into program, I was ready to admit that. And I think that that allowed me to get abstinent. It allowed me to define a food plan and to follow it. Um... It allowed me to refrain, and abstinence, of course, is the refraining from compulsive foods and compulsive food behaviors. So it allowed me to identify my compulsive foods and food behaviors and to refrain from doing that and in so doing follow a food plan, right? Um, And I was able to do that, and and, and that created space between meals, and so that, that... that gave me a, a taste of what recovery could be, 
you know, and I was able to develop relationships with a higher power and with other people, and I was able to experience a little bit of what recovery was. Now, um, I don't want to knock those first four years, you know, because when I came back into program later, I was able to, my spiritual director was able to say to me, that worked better for you than anything else you've tried since, remember? Right? And so it did. It worked to the extent that I was able to take step one. It worked. But what I was not convinced of was that my life had become unmanageable, meaning I was not convinced that I couldn't manage my own life. I wasn't convinced that I couldn't cure myself, that I couldn't figure something out. I actually considered going back to school and getting another PhD in psychology because all of the psychologists out there and all of the people who'd done all of this work and study and, 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 and everything else, all of these experts couldn't solve the problem. So I figure if I went back, I could do it, right? Um, thank God I never did that. But it did cross my mind, right? Um, because I was so arrogant in my own intellect that I thought that I could figure it out and that by power of will, once I figured it out, I could actually put it into practice without any help. Five more minutes? Great. Um, So when I came back into program in December 2012, that illusion had been knocked sideways, right? It had been completely smashed. And my hopelessness was a direct result of recognizing that that wasn't true, of finally being honest that I could not manage my own life and that my life was, in fact, unmanageable, that I was killing myself with food and that my own thinking, as has been said before, so I'm plagiarizing again, was what got me here in the first place, right? My own thinking had got me to over 300 pounds and with no end in sight. I just knew that I was just going to continue going up and up and up until I killed myself with food. And I knew that for me, the gastric bypass surgery might actually help the symptom, you know, but it wasn't going to cure what was up here. Um, So... I know that, that there are people in program who have had gastric bypass surgery and it's been helpful to them and I have I have uh, no um, judgment on that whatsoever. I knew that for me I could go, go through with that but that it wouldn't solve the root problem which was up here for me. Okay. Um, so that was also, I think, a step in honesty. Um, to recognize that it wasn't, about, it wasn't about weight, it was about the crazy in my head. Um, there's another saying in program that you know, I had to come to terms with, which was if that you, you can't solve a problem with the same part of you that's crazy, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting the the saying wrong. But the big book says that anyone can recover if we have the capacity to be honest. So how do I practice that today? I have to be honest about the food that I'm eating, not only with myself, but with God and with my sponsor. And I find that it's really easy to deceive myself, right? Um, So that I find it really helpful to check in with my sponsor, particularly if I'm out at a restaurant. Um, One thing that she has suggested is to take a picture of what I eat in a restaurant and then anything in the picture, and then send it to her, and anything in the picture isn't my food, because that way it's right there, and not just black and white, but color. Like, she knows what I'm eating, and I'm being honest about it. Well, that really helps, because then I can't just kind of go, okay, I'm just going to have a little bit of that. Or, you know, which, yeah, okay. 
Um, but it's a slippery slope, right? So for me, what's really hard is to do that. Um, so it takes both honesty and surrender for me to do that, to, um, to be willing to be honest with her and therefore with myself and with God about what I'm eating. Um, and the fact that I still experience that struggle is part of my disease, right? It's, it's, it means that I'm a compulsive overeater and an addict. The reason why I identify as an addict is because to me that's what, that summarizes the second part of step one. It's easy for me to say I'm a compulsive overeater because there's a lot of evidence to prove that that's true. Saying I'm an addict means that I don't have the power to manage that myself, that I need a power greater than myself, that I need to be honest with myself and someone else, that I need to take guidance, that I need to surrender, and that I need to face those facts honestly every day. Um, So step one... Um, the other thing about step one that I'd like to say is that it is a lot easier with a power greater than myself, right? For me, um, now that I've worked the steps, what keeps me abstinent is relying on that power greater than myself and going beyond the struggle. It's taking a step back from it, surrendering to a power greater than myself, and then I can do the next right thing with regard to my food. Um, and if I do that over and over again, it becomes a habit of mind. And it works not only with my food, but with other things in my life over which I have no control. Um, so thank you for um, the opportunity to do service today, to remind myself of where I am and to be honest with you all about it. Thanks. Okay, so um, this workshop will end at 9.30 a.m. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. The timer, um, what's your name? Heather. 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 Heather, can you raise your hand? Heather will um, signal you when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, come to the front of the room and form a line to my right. You must sign the release form, which is right here on the corner of the table before you speak. Step up to the microphone and introduce yourself. Tell where you are from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only of your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of the meeting. For those who arrived late, the topic of this workshop is step one. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, uh, I'm Isabel. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, hi, from Vernon, Connecticut. Um, so I was always told, like, you get this feeling, and you're like you're supposed to use that feeling and talk, even though you don't want to. So I came into the rooms four years ago, um, and my mom's uh, has been a part of the rooms for so long. So she asked me. I, I had moved home because my life was a wreck. And she asked me to go to the um, convention that was in Connecticut. So I kept saying, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And I was like, no, that's not me. I could do this by myself. And just like how you had said, so that resonated with me. I was like, I don't need that. I can do it. And then, so I went the first day. I got hugged. I don't even know how many times. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on? What is this? It's like tree-hugging stuff. I'm like, I can't do this. It's It's just nuts. So I went home, and I'm like, I'm not going back. No, it's not me. And she's like, just try one more day. Fine. So when Saturday? By the end of Saturday, I'm like, can we go back? Let's do this. I was like, I'm ready for Sunday. And started the program, lost 35 pounds. Was in the program for about six months. Thought I could do it. But I never worked the program. So in Connecticut, where, where I'm from, the sponsors that were available, which seemed very, very minimal, um, they were all full. So I feel like it's hard to find a sponsor. So if anybody has ideas of how to find a sponsor, I don't know if you can do them from different states. I'm not sure. 
So then I stayed out of the rooms. Um, and with living with my, with my mom, her being in it, with her cooking and everything like that, it was so much easier because I had somebody doing it for me. Whereas it wasn't really me. It was just I was following somebody else's plan. Um, then I moved out, gained 50 pounds <laughs> from moving out. And, um, and then I think it was in the summer I asked her, I'm like, can we go to the convention? She's like, are you sure? I'm like, I got to get back. I have to get back. I'm like, I have to do it. Haven't done it, but I'm here. And now I know that I am powerless completely because my life is completely revolved around the food. When I'm at work, I'm thinking about the food. When I'm anywhere, it's like I'm just living day to day in just a cycle that's disgusting. And it's like, I just have to get out of it. So if anybody has any ideas of sponsoring, because I know I can't do it alone. No, I can't. So thank you all for being here. And uh, yeah, thanks. Hi, my name is Monique. I'm from Montreal. I uh, have been in OA since 24 years. <laughs> and I and the, in, in, identify myself uh, very much with you. Um, and now I'm, I'm still in a lousy, sloppy abstinence. And this, for, for me to get up and come in the, in the front with um, not a good English, but um, I'm sure you understand me. And um, it's, uh, it's a start with honesty, that even after 24 years, I still have some struggles with my food um, and my um, recovery. Um, thank you both of you for your solutions thank you to share your experience to me and um, I always add excuses to pick up because I'm a real uh, food addict uh, now I'm sharing my emotions with members. This part of the compulsive uh, problem, put it down, put down the emotion with food, is mostly uh, it's I don't I don't do that. It, that's it's a part, but the food addict in, inside me still very active, and um, and. Uh, but I keep coming, and I keep, I know my place is here with you. And for me, coming in, uh, in a convention like Region 6 or Region 5 or Region 8, when I travel, it's, uh, it's a gift. It's a booster for me when I go back home. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. I'm Tara, compulsive eater. Um, thank you both so much. Um, I just wanted to share on honesty because I've been in the rooms for about three years, um, never really stringing along more than like 30 days of abstinence. And um, and in May, <clears throat> had have had like five sponsors, you know, just... Uh, um, I could, you know, I can binge with the best of them. So, <laughs> um, this May, I got like completely scared out of my mind, like terrified, um, on my knees, hair on fire. Um, and, uh, so my abstinence now is, uh, definitely probably the strongest that it's ever been, but only because I'm the most honest that I've ever been. There are certain things three years ago that if you told me that I wouldn't be eating them today, I, I don't think I would believe that I would even be alive. I mean, uh, things that may not be binge foods to you that I simply cannot eat. Um, but right now 
I'm realizing how important the honesty is. Um, I have a sponsor where um, I'll just share a situation. I was supposed to lead a meeting last week. And um, three days before the meeting, I was at a function and there was a, I'm, uh, I'm Jewish and there was, uh, it was Shabbat services. So they pass around a challah, a bread. And um, my son had a part in it and it was like a beautiful moment. And I went like, and I took like the littlest piece and it, and I have to tell you, I felt it through my bloodstream. And I spit it out. And through my mind was, oh, God, I can't lead the meeting in three days. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I did this to myself, too. I'm not telling anybody. It's fine. <laughs> it, this was nothing. This was nothing compared to what I used to do. I mean, you know, eh, I don't want to say what I used to do. But I'm sure you can understand what I used to do. And, um, and then I thought you know what, I'm not going to lead the meeting, but I'm not even, I'm not going to go. I'm just not going to go to the meeting. There was no option that was going to be okay for my recovery. And two days went by and it was becoming my obsession. This nothing, nothing that, I mean, it was, and it was all I was thinking about. And I turned it over to my sponsor and, um, we talked about it and we discussed it and she wasn't going to tell me what to do. And I shared my story at the meeting and that was the most powerful thing that I could have done because I was there and I was honest and I didn't lead and uh, that's it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Meryl and... Thanks. Hi. So, um, I was going to go to Promises because I've been in the rooms three years and I'm working step one with my sponsor and, yeah, I don't really need to do the step one. You know, like, what I need is hope. I'm going to go to the Promises. Uh, and I, I, was, I wasn't in a negative space about it. And somehow or another this morning... I thought about it and it was like, oh, go to step one. And then I even had to talk to someone. Uh, you know, I don't know. So when I came in, I spoke with, the, with Jen and, what's your name? Carol. This is an absolute gift that I walked in this room. Two extraordinarily intelligent, educated stand-up woman, right? These are, these are women who, like, this is what I wanted to be. Um, I have, I am grateful right now that the outside world is catching up to the wisdom, right, that's in our rooms. The diets out there are like no sugar, no starch. Um, and I'm glad I'm in here. So I came into the rooms uh, many times, but I never stayed because they were like, you're all wacky. We're wacky. We're wacky. Um, I, got, I got into CODA. I got into Al-Anon. I grew up with an alcoholic. Uh, I got that, but oh, wait, nah. And I came in uh, December 30th, 2015, after having... Lost a lot of weight, um, not on a diet, but on an eating plan, and then I started gaining again. But I didn't get abstinent until June 12th. And I'm not proud. I almost feel a little guilty. I didn't get abstinent because I wanted to quit compulsive overeating or let go of any of my binge foods. I quit sugar, alcohol, and starch because I had a plan and a note in my mind to commit suicide. And I sought help, uh, and I was going to go to like a, a day program, you know, just. But on the second day, actually on the first day of the program, they provided lunch, and it was white bread, 
And I thought, wow, I think sugar and alcohol and starch are a depressant. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that out. And except for maybe a biter, can we mention food? I never even asked. Okay. So except for like uh, some pita bread and, I mean, really, compared to what I was doing, because this, I just want you to know, this is brie cheese bread and red wine or pasta pesto and white wine. This is, you know, um, I haven't picked up. I haven't done it perfectly. I am an emotional eater. I eat at night. And so having something like at 10 o'clock, I'm still compulsively eating. And I'm not eating the sugar, the flour, um, or drinking. And I'm just really super glad I'm here. One last thing is I can't say I am a compulsive overeater because psychologically, like if you read the studies, when you say I am, then you are that thing. And so, like, I choose not to say that because when I can say I'm a recovering, grateful overeater, I'll do it. So if I need to learn to say I'm a compulsive overeater for me to really get this, I'm willing to do it. Not in this moment, but I will become willing to do it if that means that I can be happy, sober, and free. And I mean sober from sugar. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for letting me share. My name is Marian Anderson, originally from Quebec, uh, Canada, but living in Kirkville, New York. Hi. Um, I'm not really sure what I'm going to say, but I do know that I struggle with step one. I've been in the room for for about two years now, and sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, I'm on the slow end. And that's okay. That's funny because at first it really bothered me because I had a friend that came in and she was just like a, a star. She got it right off. She lost 50, 60 pounds. I think maybe I've lost eight pounds. <laughs> but it's no longer about the weight. It definitely no longer is about the weight. And I'm speaking to people that are like me that kind of sit on the fence, you know, and, and still function pretty well. You know, I'm, I'm breaking in a three-year-old cult. I never thought I'd do that. I'm turning 65 in January. I'm a heck of a bulldozer driver. I'm really good with a chainsaw. But that's the life I love. I'm going to lose that. If at some point I don't understand the strength and the power of step one, I struggle because I'm so stubborn. I struggle with admitting that I'm powerless. I learned as a child that my parents passed away when I was very young. I learned that I need to take care of business. I need to take care of me. I need to take care of others. But taking care of me turned into a disease that was telling me, this is good for you. This is good. I can reason anything. I make such good sense until the point that I understand that the voice that I'm hearing is no longer my voice looking out for me. It's a disease. I couldn't say that. It took me two years to start to say that. I believed that I had a dis-ease with people. I'm uncomfortable around people. Put me with horses, dogs, anything. I can connect. But put me with you guys. I want to crawl out of my skin. So the power of step one for the beginners and those who are like me, I'm still working on that. I um, kind of couldn't reach out and ask for help. I had trouble getting a sponsor. Now I fall asleep with a vision for you hour of power, and I do have a sponsor that I don't communicate enough with, and I'm going to work on that. But when I can't sleep, or when I'm so uncomfortable in my skin, I listen to the recordings. I know that if I'm really stuck, I can get, I can get a sponsor through the online telephone program. So I'm, 
I'm grateful to be here, um, and thank you very much. We'd like to thank everyone who attended this workshop, and we'll now close the meeting with the serenity prayer.